So let's pray. So Father God, we love you. Father, we thank you that your word is true. Father, I pray today that there would be a path of understanding. Eyes would be open, ears would be open. Father, that there would be just the ability to see exactly what you were trying to say. Be able to be put together today for these people that you love. In Jesus' name, amen. So, here I am. I love being up here. But, you know, every time I get up on the stage, I go, wow, boy, I had to go through something when I get up here. And this one is so fresh and raw that it still smells like the bread that just got baked and it's blowing, you know, in the, out the window and you smell that, that fresh baked bread. And it, it is literally, so when I'm standing up here today to talk to you, I am warning you. I am here to tell you, do not pay attention to what I'm saying so that you do not suffer the same consequence because it is not comfortable. It is painful. And the Christian life is not riddled with misery. We sing all these songs about peace. If you're miserable and there's no peace in it, there is somewhere that the will of God is off in your life. Period. Understand what I'm saying. Because even in the midst of cancer and even in the midst of, of, of stuff going on at work or even in the midst of someone dying or even in the midst of something not being just right, if you are miserable in it, that is not the promise of God. He said you have peace. So when I tell you that it's raw, it's raw. So when I take this thing and I open it up and I read in Exodus and Numbers, yep, Old Testament, right? When I read Exodus and Numbers, I sit here and read about this group of people that were God's chosen people who did nothing but complain. They complained all the time. They were complaining. They were stubborn. And I go, people, didn't, can't you read the next line where God did this and God did that? Can't you remember not even a month ago that God parted the Red Sea and trampled his, your, your enemies, sorry, trampled your enemies behind you? I said, can't you just open the book and see it? And then I went, oh, wait a minute. They didn't have the book then. But they saw it. They saw it happen. And yet they still complained about it. So I stopped for a minute and I said, well, Frankie, this is getting kind of real. I'm getting a little convicted by that. It kind of sounds like us. It sounds exactly like us. It sounds exactly like us. Is that we will see God do all of these things, and yet in the midst of it, we still find something to complain about. So today, I'm going to give two instances. So I'm going to kind of set the standard here for a minute, set the story right. There are two instances in the Bible where it talks about manna and quail. And for the sake of time, we're not going to go into all the details of the one in Exodus. I'll just kind of briefly talk about it. But we're going to spend the majority of our time in Numbers 11. So if you want to pull your Bibles, if you have them, if you want to turn to Numbers 11, you'll be prepared. But in Exodus 16, this is one month, listen, one month after they walked out of Egypt, 
crossed the Red Sea, saw God give him water by putting a stick in a pond or in a, in a, in a water and turn it from bitterness and poisonous water to something they could drink, saw them crush their enemies one month, and they're complaining in the wilderness. Oh God, if we only had the meat. If we only had that thing we had back in Egypt. Oh Lord, if I only had that meat. Now I want to tell you about the grace and mercy of our God. At that particular moment, he wasn't talking about how his anger was burning and raging like a fire. He knew those were children. And he knew that he was preparing them to be able to hear the voice of Yahweh. So when he gets to that point, he says, okay, Moses, he's going to give these people meat and manna. We're going to give them some meat because they're complaining about it. We're going to feed them. He didn't get all crazy with it and start dropping people dead and starting doing things like that because he knew that it was fresh. He's like, okay, we're going to just teach them a little bit. So he took this big migration of birds. Okay, we're talking about the quail. So for any of you, I kind of read about this, and it's very interesting. I think it's intricate to the story. So I want you to remember this for the one that we talk about in Numbers 11 as well. In that area of the world, in the Sinai Peninsula, and so I'm saying about when I'm talking about Nancy and Gary and us using, you know, God using natural things in miraculous timing, there is an annual spring migration of quail, and it is a massive flock of birds. So God took something natural, turns it into a miracle to feed these people because they were complaining that they wanted some meat. But then the very next day, he brings the provision. So I want you to understand, now listen, we're, we're labeling words like it's vocabulary. Manna is the provision of God. It doesn't matter what it is in your life, you need to recognize the provision of God in your life as being manna. If you fail to recognize the manna, you have failed to recognize the provision of God. So now, fast forward two years later. Well, first I want to read something to you. Just so you understand why God put this stuff for us to see. Let me get my eyes on. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Starting in verse 11. It says, These things happen to them as examples and were written down for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. So let the one who thinks he is standing be careful that he does not fall. No trial has overtaken you that is not faced by others, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tried beyond what you are able to bear, but with the trial will also provide a way out so that you will be able to endure it. It's basically saying that in this particular, this Old Testament stuff that we read sometimes when it brings a spiritual principle there, and I'm going to help you pull the goodie out of that this morning, because God is saying it was a warning. It was a warning to us and, and guess what? It's a warning in such a fashion that we have less of an excuse than they do. Because we have an advocate. 
We have the Holy Spirit that's inside of us that reminds us about this story every single day, including if we're stuck somewhere complaining about something. Now, let me define complaining for you. We all know what it is, right? So complaining is when you start saying something is wrong or that it is, you disapprove of it, right? So a child can come to their parents, and I'm giving you a good example now, a child can come to their parents and say, Mommy, my stomach hurts. That's not the kind of complaining we're talking about. Or you can go to the hospital, and you can walk into the, to the doctor's office, and the doctor says, well, Mr. Johnson, what's going on with you? Well, I have this pain in my lower abdomen that's right here. Well, you know something's wrong, so you're telling the doctor what's wrong. The type of complaining I'm talking about is when you, 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 me, as a child of your Father in Heaven, goes to him and says, hey, Pop, I disapprove of what you're doing. Now think, now think about that for a minute. How crazy does that sound? As a Christian, somebody who claims to know Jesus, when I put it in that term, how crazy does that sound? Hey, God, I disapprove of what you're doing in my life. It doesn't matter if he gave you cancer. It doesn't matter if he killed your spouse. That you looking at God and saying you want something different than the provision of his for you is a sin. And it is complaining. And it is exactly what they were doing when they walked in the wilderness. They complained. Even though they saw the provision of God right in front of their face. So in Numbers 11, this is good scripture, by the way. It's funny. It's like, who in the world chooses Numbers 11? Like, Numbers 11? I have never read Numbers 11. Right? And I know there's a lot of people out here who have never read Numbers 11. Well, I was sitting there trying to prepare the message, and I'm like, Lord, I really don't know what to do. He said, well, I'm going to show you something about your own. He said, why don't you talk about the quail? So a while ago when we were talking about the quail and this big huge migration of these birds is they literally would just fly in and get blown up through this area and the Israelites would have this meat. Well, from what I can read in Numbers chapter 11, it kind of sounds like they really haven't had much of that in a long time. They were kind of stuck with just eating the manna. Now can you imagine, I want to put that in context, can you imagine that you could see the provision of God clearly in your life every single day. Watch it, see it, eat it, taste it, and yet somehow or another it becomes so monotonous and boring to you that you would rather eat the meat that you had in the place that held you in bondage. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? That thing that we go to and cling to because it seems so comfortable and we start complaining about it, we're like, oh Lord, I'm in misery. Child, if you just listen for a second, I'm trying to show you my provision. But Lord, it's so painful. But child, it's my provision for your life. But Lord, it's hot out here in the desert. It's so hot and I'm having to walk so far. Child, just look at my provision. I give it to you every day. 
every day. So these Israelites that were in this generation two years later, so they've been seeing this for two years. Now imagine, two years is kind of funny because mine went on for two years. It's interesting that he put me into the scripture and I was suffering through the same kind of stuff for two years. Is that they still saw it every day. They ate the manna every single day. But yet they still complained. So it says, starting in verse 1, the Israelites complained. That's the heading. And it says, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. When the Lord heard it, his anger burned. Who in here thinks that the Lord gets angry? Because, you know, there are some people that go, Frankie, don't you say the Lord gets angry? Because that's just not right. But it is right because it's a characteristic and a trait of God that is true. But I want you to see how much he loves each one of you in the very first little section of Numbers 11. The entire gospel is laid out. It says, when the Lord heard it, his anger burned, and so the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outer parts of the camp. Now, Israel's camp was two and a half million people. Big old camp. So, on the outskirts of this camp, literally, a fire started and people were dropping dead because the Lord was tired of hearing them complain. And so, what happened? Then the people cried to Moses, and then Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. Can you see the foreshadowing of Christ? The good news in the first little section before it ever goes into talking about how God will use natural things to produce a miraculous event in your life. He talks about how they prayed, they looked at Moses and prayed, Moses prayed to the Lord interventionally for them. That is the exact same thing that we do when we pray to God and we say, God, the fire is too much. Put the fire out. The problem is, is we don't go to God and say, God, put the fire out. We try to figure out how to put the fire out ourselves. Right? We try to find it in our own power about how to try to put the fire out. And you're going to see in a minute that that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Because God created you to be creative. So you're going to try to find a way, and he'll let you go to the very end of yourself until you drop dead. So now the mixed multitude, and this is the title of the message. Listen very carefully, because it's going to come up again. The mixed multitude is what they call in the Bible foreign rabble. Okay? The foreign rabble would have been people that tagged along with God's people, and they couldn't decide whether they wanted to be on the journey in the wilderness or if they wanted to be back in Egypt. Now, how many of us are like that? Come on, we all do it. Some of us want to go back to that comfortable thing where that meat was, and then some of us want to be over here on the wilderness because we know God's doing something, but we just can't quite figure out what it is that he's doing. So these people were a problem because they were playing both sides and they were complaining. So it says, now the mixed multitude who were among them craved more desirable foods than the manna. Can you imagine? Angels dropping food on the ground 
and it tastes like a sweet pastry, and they had more than enough every day, and they got tired of eating it. And so they said, oh, let's, let's go back and get these foods that we had in Egypt. He said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we used to eat freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now we are dried up. Let me tell you what that's, what that's saying. It says, my soul has become bored. We are dried up. This stuff is old news. We don't want any more of that man over there. Hey, God, your provision was great for a little while, but I think we're going to go on our own path and figure this out on our own as we walk through the wilderness. Does that not sound crazy when it's coming out of my mouth? Really? But, but yet that's how we think. I want you to see that that is the mentality that we carry when we complain, which is unbelief, and we turn away from God. It doesn't matter if it's for a moment. It doesn't matter if it's for two years. It doesn't matter if it's for 40 years. You become the foreign rabble to yourself. Because when you tell yourself you would rather be in bondage because that's better than what God has for you, you have broken communion with your Father in heaven. And that is unbelief. Because it doesn't matter how painful it is. God's provision for his children is always better than trying to go back to eat the meat over here where we were in bondage. They were free walking around in the wilderness because God was with them. These people looked at a flame by night and a smoke pillar by day. They literally got to look up and see it all day long. That, that's what baffles me. It's like, we don't have an excuse. But yet I did the same thing. You understand what I'm saying? It's so deceiving what the devil will do. He's not going to come to you and say, oh, you're not saved. Because you'll look at him and say, of course I am. No, the devil's going to take his time. And he's going to let you see one thing. And then another. And another. And another. And he's going to twist it until you believe what's coming out of your mouth. And when you believe what's coming out of your mouth and life becomes miserable, that's the point where you need to say, am I out of the will of God? Because you are. Because there is a difference between misery and joy. And God says, I give you peace. I give you joy. So they went on and they said, but now we're dried up. So we discussed that they just became so enamored, they, they thought that the manna was monotonous. Said there is nothing at all except for this manna. And then it went on to describe what the manna was like. You can read that in the scripture. That was just replaying what it did in Exodus when they first got it. And then Moses, the next section says Moses complains to the Lord. And this is beautiful. Because it shows exactly how we should take something to God. If you read this, Moses was asking questions to the Lord. He wasn't demanding 
that God change his provision and give him some meat or to give him what he wanted. Moses put it like this. He says, he heard the weeping throughout their families. Everyone at the door of his tent. And it says, and when the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, Moses was also displeased. So that foreign rabble that I talked about a while ago that gets in here and kind of stirs up stuff, it had infiltrated the entire camp. It is spread like wildfire from those people who were complaining and who were displeased and then it had gone into the entire camp of Israel and Moses heard all the families sitting at the door of their tent complaining that they didn't have meat and that they would rather go back and get it out of Egypt where they were slaves than to sit out here and enjoy the provision of God and what he was teaching them in the wilderness. And this is how Moses responds. Listen in your own lives. This is important. It says, And Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? Question mark. Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of this entire people on me? Question mark. Did I conceive this entire people? Question mark. Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, carry them in your arms as a foster father bears a nursing child to the land that you swore to their fathers? Question mark. From where shall I get meat to give to this entire people? For they cry to me, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear this entire people alone because it is too heavy for me. But if you are going to deal with me like this, then please kill me immediately. I have never, I have found faith. If I have found favor in your sight, then do not let me see my trouble. In the midst of him having to deal with what he was dealing with, and I can't even imagine what Moses had to deal with. Two and a half whining babies, two and a half million whining babies, talking about how they were sad that they weren't in slavery anymore, and they wanted everything else except for the provision of God. That had to be horrific. Because at that point, Moses was the only one that had the Spirit of God resting on him. And being able to talk with God had to be terrible. Had to be just unbearably waiting. But Moses didn't go to God and say, you wretched, angry God. He went and asked him questions. He went to him in prayer and he said, God, why is this happening? Because you know what I know about our God in mercy and grace? Is that if you go and you ask like Moses did, he's going to tell you. He's going to show you what is going on in your life. And you know what? Some of you have done that. You felt that way and you went, God, please show me. But then the very next day, you went right back to doing it the way you were doing it. Even after God told you. And all that does, that's, that's, that's flat rebellion. And it is uncomfortable. Trust me, because we're going to see that in just a minute as we go forward. So here was God's response to Moses. So Moses has prayed, right? He has gone in. And I said, well, if you ask the Lord correctly, he's going to show you. So the Lord said to Moses, gather me 70 men of the elders of Israel, who you know are elders of the people and officials over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting. Let them take their position there with you. And I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take part of the spirit and put it on them so that they can see basically what's happening. So in the midst of Moses' complaint, who he was directing his stuff to God, asking questions, God answered him and gave him help. 
right? He said, I give you 70 elders. So he didn't go, you better send me somebody. You better take this stuff out of my life. This is terrible. I don't know what you're doing this for. He asked, and the Lord helped him, sent him people to be on his side. Think about that in your own life. I want you to think spiritually, because this is a spiritual principle. Is that when we approach God that way, that's what is supposed to happen. Not how the people did it by complaining at their doorsteps going, oh Lord, if we only could be slaves again. How dumb does that sound? It's crazy, but it is exactly how we do it. I catch myself all the time, and I have to quickly back out of that because that is the wrong mentality. That is just complete unbelief in the provision that God has for your life. Now, here's, here's where it gets, you know, the dicey. So we start talking about that, that quail. Because the Lord loves his people, right? He'll listen. And I'm a firm believer. Listen, because I, personal experience. I'm a firm believer that God will give you exactly what you want. How many times has that happened in your own life? And it may not have been the best thing for you. But God always has a purpose. It doesn't matter if it's what you wanted and it leads you down a miserable path. If you want it, God will give it to you until it lets you come to the end of yourself. So then God said, now, now, now listen, this is God telling Moses what is going to happen. And Moses is his spokesman. So that means it, it's like the Holy Spirit, right? He's going to go back and he's going to tell the people exactly what's going to happen. That's like conviction in your life, right? When it says, hey, you keep going this way, this is exactly what's going to happen. And then he says, the Lord said, and say to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, purify, go through the rituals, and you will eat meat. So you can see the Lord sitting in heaven going, yeah, I'm going to eat meat. I'm going to give you all the meat you want. Because that's what you want. So I want you to see what this meat tastes like. And it says, and you will eat meat, for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? For life was good for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will eat it not just for one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor 10 days, nor 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and makes you sick. Now this is the Lord saying this to Moses who then has to go, you really want me to say that to the people? So imagine the vision that that gives you of saying you'll eat it until it comes out of your nostrils. You ever thrown up and it comes out of your nose? And that's exactly what it's talking about. In the Hebrew, it's referencing vomit coming out of your nose because you have consumed it so much that it makes you sick. Isn't that the same thing that sin does in our lives? Isn't that the same thing that constant complaining does in our lives? It leads us to a place 
where we are so sick from eating it that it comes out of our nose and our mouth and it defiles other people. It is just the most terrible picture of sickness that you can think of. And it says it will come out of your nostrils and make you sick because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever come out of Egypt? So God is telling Moses this. And then Moses said, so now Moses is having a conversation. The Lord, the people around me are 600,000. Talking about the warring men, the men, and then they had their families. He said, but you say, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if the flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? If all the fish of the sea were caught for them, would they have enough? I want to tell you something. When I first read that, this just came to me last night. When I first read this scripture, I thought Moses was asking God, he was like, Lord, there must not be enough food out there to feed 600,000 people. And really, what it was saying is that Moses was going, Lord, it don't matter if you give those people all the fish in the sea. It doesn't matter if you slaughter all the cattle. They'll never be satisfied. They'll never be satisfied. You could feed them all the meat you want, and they'll still complain about it. That, that's what that's saying. And then what does the Lord say? Here's the best part. Because I can imagine, you know, God is patient. God is slow to anger, right? And he goes, and the Lord said back to Moses, is the Lord's hand short? Meaning, do you think my power has been shut off? that I can't accomplish what I want to accomplish in whatever way I choose to do it. So Moses was basically saying, those people will never be satisfied. And the Lord looked at him and said, well, I'll take care of that. I'll make sure they are. I'll make sure they're satisfied. And then it says, now you will see whether my word to you will come true or not. So then Moses had to go back to the people. Look at the grace of God. This is the entire good news of the gospel. He had to go back to the people and repeat exactly what God said. So Moses gets up on his little, you know, up in the podium and he tells it to the elders and they go to the village and tell everybody. Could you imagine? Moses says, hey guys, God's going to feed you meat. And, and he told me to tell you that you were going to eat so much of it that you were going to puke it out your nostrils. And the people still did it. They still ate it until it puked out of their nostrils. And God even warned them. God was so gracious that he even warned them that if they continued to do it, it was going to come out of their nose. I was like, oh, but that's us. It's such a picture of us that we would still choose that thing that would just run out of our nose because we consumed it so much. It says, so Moses went out. And he told the people the words of the Lord. And then he gathered the 70 men of the elders and the people and had them stand around the tabernacle. And, and I'm not going to go into this other part, but I am going to get into the provision of the quail, which starts in verse 31. So remember I said we have this migratory, these migratory birds. This is, this is extreme. This is important. This is just cool stuff. Two years later, God, they probably hadn't had this meat and it doesn't see any indication that they would have remembered you know, that they were desperately wanting something besides the manna. So God blows this miraculous wind 
and brings this migration of quail into the village. And it is so large that they said it was a day's journey on either side of the camp. However far a day's journey in that time was, I guess people could probably walk, what, 20 miles, 15 miles? We're talking 15 miles on either side, three foot deep. Could you imagine the chaos and the childlike behavior when God said the meat's coming and the meat started blowing in? I can imagine they were out there with nets on, trying to swipe it up. And it said they collected so much that every person had 50 bushels of quail. Now, we know what a bushel basket is, right? Bushel basket is that thing where we go and, you know, get the peaches in them or whatever, bushel basket, filled them up with quail. So now a practice in Egypt, which is where they would have learned it, and even how they would have done things probably in the wilderness, is when they caught meat, they would have cut the entrails out. They would have, Raj know about stuff like this, about they clean the insides out of the bird. They splay it open. Well, in that time, if they would preserve the animal, they would have let it sit out in the sun to dry. So they also did that in Egypt. They put the fish out, and the fish would dry, and it would preserve. Now, I can tell you from experience that I've got a hold of some meat in France that wasn't dried very well. And it immediately got me sick. So that natural thing that God uses in a miraculous timing to bring something in, because then what it says is this, it says, the wind blew in and the Lord brought the quail from the sea and he let them fall near the camp about a day's journey on the side and a day's journey on this side and all around the camp and about three feet high on the surface of the ground. And the people stayed up all that day, all that night and all the next day, gluttonous people, and gathered the quail. The one who gathered the least gathered five bush, 50 bushels, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, because how long did God say they were going to eat it? For a month. So they were still consuming the meat that they had laid out to dry and preserve. And I will tell you, they were so gluttonous, and God wanted to use something to show them because his anger burned. That it was very likely you always speculate, and I'll say this is biblical, but I'm telling you, they looked at it as that those people kept eating that meat and they were eating toxins. The bacterial toxins that grew on that meat, they didn't prepare it right because they had gotten so far away from this first one over here in Exodus, right? They meticulously took their time and they prepared the bird and they dried it correctly and they were so simple with it and did it correctly. In this one, they had gotten away so much and they were so ravenous for wanting something else in their life that they probably missed a step. And it just started rotting. It smelled like rancid stuff, probably, right? All this meat laying around. But yet they were still eating it. And it was just destroying them on the inside. And it says, And while they chewed it, the anger of the Lord burned against the people. And the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. And that brings me to this point. That is an example for us. And listen very carefully. 
Romans 6.23 says what? Somebody knows that scripture. For the wages of sin is what? Yeah, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. So I see this as a... You, people don't want to think that God wants to see your death. And I'm here to tell you that God wants to see your death. And do you realize that it's human nature to try to preserve your own life? If you were stuck in a burning building and the only way out was that door and there was a fire in front of it, you would wrap a blanket around yourself and you would sprint through that fire to try to get out of that door. Isn't it interesting that when we complain like that and we are in that place, we are running around in a burning building and God has already showed you where the exit's at, but we would choose to run back into the fire, up the steps, around the top floor, try to open the window and see that it's too far down, close the window back, and keep running around in the burning fire when God says, child, the, the door's right there. All you got to do is walk through the exit. And, and the fact of the matter is, is it says the wages of your sin is death. That means you should want to die. You should want to die in all of those areas of your life so that you can recognize the provision of God that he gives you every day. I failed in my, in my instance. I, I thought it was a curse. But yet it was very clear that God was in it. So why did I keep disagreeing with God and saying, God, you're a curse. Why are you doing this to me? And God's like, son, I'm not doing anything to you. You just fail to recognize this man. You don't see my provision because you're complaining too much about what you want it to be. So until you come to a point of death in that point in your life, you will never experience the true life of Jesus Christ. You will never feel what true life feels like because it has nothing to do with the physical stuff of this world. Nothing. It has to do with the life that he gives you when you come to the end of trying to make it about the world. That is true life. That is why when we see this example for an example for us is that when he brings those quail, those quail were going to be tainted. They were nothing wrong with the quail, right? The quail wasn't a problem. It was what the people did. It was what God wanted to use the quail for when he brought them to the end of their cell. He literally killed those people. But it's like you said, that was the example of what we see, that he wants to see our death of those things that still hold on. And he wants to give us life. Wasn't that the whole point of walking in the wilderness? Wasn't that the whole point of walking in the desert? The whole point of them for doing those things and walking in the desert was so they could come to the end of themselves and enter the promised land. And he killed off an entire generation for unbelief so that they, their offspring, right, this thing inside of us that Christ wants to see live could walk into the promised land. 
without having any baggage taken behind us. So what I ask you today this is, is search and ask. Just like Moses did. Lord, what is going on in your servant's life? What is this? Can you show me? And when he shows you, don't argue with him and say, God, I disapprove of your provision in my life. Sometimes we don't like it. But when we complain about it, it taints this thing. We become that foreign rival because it disrupts our communion with the Holy God. So that would be my challenge this week. I would say, if you're in misery, and I'm not talking about because you're suffering pain from a physical ailment, you know what I'm talking about spiritually. If you are miserable, ask God why. Ask God why. And accept what he tells you. And move forward. He loves you. He has grace. He wants to see that part of you die so he can breathe life into it. So, Father God, we thank you this morning for everything. Father, for, for Holy Mountain. Father, for provision that you show us that we can't even recognize. Father, that we ask in the name of Christ that you continue to give us that provision. That you continue to show us, that you continue to raise us as your children that you continue to teach us, that you continue to, to shine light in those areas that need death. Father, burn them to a crisp so that they can be resurrected. Father, so there won't be misery in this life because you told us that we were to be content. You told us that we were to praise you in all things. You told us that we were to be grateful and that when those things happen, it will go well in our lives. Father, we thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.